As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Paul Sweeney. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Cardinal rule number one is when you're in an equity business, listen to the bond guys. The bond guys never listen to the equity guys. <laughs> but, you know, if you're like a gene monster, you really pay attention to what the debt side looks like as you look at your area. Gene Munster's area for decades, Piper Jeffrey, and uh, now on, on his own. Gene Munster uh, really looking at uh, technology. Gene, Robert Schiffman of Bloomberg Intelligence said, look, Microsoft's a AAA. Apple's just below that. Microsoft could do $20 billion debt offering right now and not you know, affect anything at all. Do we have any understanding of their free cash flow? And Gene, one idea here on their free cash flow, Apple's retired 39% of their shares in the last decade. Do we understand their profit? I don't think so, Tom. When you think of the free cash flow with Apple, we're talking uh, 50 to $60 billion per year. That's free cash flow. When they talk about their current cash position, call it roughly $75 billion. I mean, they've continued to try to uh, whittle that down, return that to investors. Welcome, Meta, to that conversation yeah. uh, regarding returning capital. But uh, Apple is unique in that it is, uh, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling. If you look at the past year, revenue has basically been down 2.5%, but they've generated, call it $60 billion in free cash flow. Mm. Yeah. And I think it just speaks to uh, the strength of their margins. Paul, I put this out last night in preparation for Gene Munster that I'm just had it with this sophomoric growthiness study of the media, and it's about the profit. And as Gene mentions, Paul, Zuckerberg gets the 2023 trophy. The way he oh, yeah. has shifted sure. Facebook to a profit juggernaut is jaw-dropping. It really is, and uh, the stock got rewarded for it, too, more than doubling here. Hey, Gene, so last night, busy night for you and busy night for tech investors, Apple, Amazon, Meta. I want to start with Apple here because for me, and I think for a lot of investors, it's very much about China here, and I'm not sure I heard anything from Cupertino last night that makes me feel more comfortable about what's happening in China. My concern is maybe the consumer's moving away from Western products in general, and maybe Apple in particular. How do you think about China? 
China hit the wall. It was down 13% year over year. It was down 2.5% year over year in the September quarter. So we saw that deceleration. Uh, the macro has definitely impacted that. If you look at broader Apple business, it was up 10% in Europe, 15% in Japan, 2%. So if you think about what's going on at Apple, it really can be zeroed into the weakness in China. China's 20% of their business. And then the question comes to what does China look like going forward? And I think the answer is to continue to expect it to be down kind of this 10, 15% for the next uh, few quarters. There is the question, is this just a macro issue related to China or to your point, is there just a, a structural shift away from Western products and Apple in particular? And what we saw was some conflicting data. We saw the China business being down like we talked about, but we also saw that Apple in terms of its market share, IDC, reputable uh, yep, yep. source, said that Apple, that the iPhone is now the best selling smartphone in China for the first time in the December quarter. And so uh, I think the answer is this is uh, more about the macro. I do want to put one other, uh, put other one uh, just slightly finer point on this. There is a dynamic of what's going on with the government and their commentary about buying Apple products. Now, if you look at the number of government employees, uh, this basically can create about a 3% headwind to China's business. It's not a formal policy to avoid Apple products. It's been this informal kind of wink and nod. But I think that that probably plays in all this too. When you roll it all together, I still think China is a big opportunity for Apple. India is becoming a bigger opportunity too. And I think that um, I think this storm uh, will pass. Yeah, and that's kind of, I think the message we heard from Tim Cook, I think he's probably taking a little bit more of a longer view. Um, all right, let's switch to uh, Meta. You mentioned that and it just what a story here. I mean, uh, and, you know, Zuckerberg gets a lot of uh, criticism, and he obviously was on the Hill again recently. But, boy, did they turn this company around in the last 18 months? It was, you know, since its inception, it was a top-line growth story. Uh, and then he wisely, wisely focused on costs and profitability. And, boy, that's paid off for the company. What, what's your view there on Meta? The cost is, that's, that's nice, uh, absolutely has paid off. I think... There's a bigger uh, <clears throat> dynamic playing out here, which is just related to their demand. And uh, they had their revenue was up 25% year over year in the December quarter. They guided, you gotta go to the high end of their guidance range because they're probably gonna exceed that. Would imply an acceleration to 30%. Their price per ad was up 2% year over year. A year ago, their price per ad was down 22%. Yep. So that's, that's outside of the whole expense control. <clears throat> the ad market is better. But there's something, the bigger thing going on is, is this, is that their products uh, people want. I mean, that's the maybe optimistic way to say it. The more skeptic way to say it is they're addictive. Uh, uh, Deepwater does own Meta. This is something that I struggle with. But uh, we saw it in the numbers, in the engagement. It's, right. it's playing through to the revenue. One just other quick thought on the, the engagement number here. Their DAUs, this is a metric they're no longer going to give uh, daily active users, but that was $2.1 billion for Facebook. Um, that was up 6% yeah. year over year. Uh, it's an acceleration over the past few quarters. Remarkable testimony to right. how people say they don't want social, but they spend all their time. Yeah, well, the, the daily average use of Instagram in the Keen household is incalculable. <laughs> you can't do that number. With us, Gene Munster, for this entire half hour commercial freeze with deep water asset uh, management. Gene, here's the real world. 
It's owned by Portfolios. NASDAQ's up 1% right now. And we're going to pick on our good friend Will Danoff up in Boston. He's been doing this for a few years at a shop called Fidelity. It's his largest holding. It's grown out where Meta, Facebook, is 12.x% of Will Danoff's contra fund. But he's probably under-owned it as well. Just the share price today moves, moves contra fund 2% off the leap in Meta. Are these stocks under-owned by uh, institutional Wall Street? I think Meta is. I think there's still some controversy around just what is ultimately, uh, you know, what does their advertising business look like? I think there's concern about regulation related to it. If you look at the multiple relative to yeah. the other big tech companies, it still trades at a discount. So it's going to be, uh, I bet the earnings go up by mm -hmm. more than 20% today. The stock up 18% in pre-market, I bet earnings go up. So I think the multiple probably is actually surprising and to stay in that low 20 range where you look at the rest of big tech kind of loosely in the low 30 range. Right. And so based on that, I don't think this is <clears throat> over-owned. And I think that there's, uh, again, there, there's room to go. I think this should trade. Right in line with the rest of uh, larger tech. Okay, so they're three trillion. A guy, an Uber bull like Dan Ives is what, what Paul, four, four, four yeah. trillion, yeah, five trillion. Sure. Add it up, Gene Munster, and someday these four stocks, the Magnificent Four, whatever. I, NVIDIA, I'm not there yet. I know Gene is, I'm not there yet. But Gene, they're gonna have an all-in value of say $15 trillion. Are they like the Rockefellers, Standard Oil, <laughs> Ida Tarble of 120 years ago? where there's going to be a primal cry, they're too big. Are we getting there quickly? I think we were there three years ago. And <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, this is uh, lessons learned from the past here, just about can things keep going, uh, about bubbles. There was the everything bubble a couple of years ago, obviously what happened in 2000. So I'm skeptic. I want to be just cautious, like, can this keep going? But just the case that I think these will continue to get going. It is as simple as artificial intelligence. I think that uh, this is something yeah. that now Apple has stepped into the game. That is as much um, of the rancor that goes on Capitol Wait. Hill related to Wait. large cap tech. I think lawmakers understand that these companies having strong domestic companies that are building AI, I think they understand the importance right. of that from a right. national security standpoint. and. So I think that there'll be always talk of regulation, but I think these companies right. will continue to get bigger. Are you watching UNC Duke this weekend with Vision Pro? Are no, you gonna I have I'm going to go old school. <laughs> You're going to go, go old school? school. Yeah, the zenith it. with the with yeah. the ears, right? A can of Budweiser I mean, sitting what, on the couch. What Vision Pro, Paul, what, what would you and I, Lisa, help me here. What would you and I use Vision Pro for? I, I, I don't know. Well, that's kind of where I want to go with, Please, with, go with Gene, Gene here. Gene, where are we? Where is Mark Zuckerberg these days when you speak to him, when you hear his commentary with the metaverse? That was at best a distraction for this company and at worst maybe a real suck hole in terms of a capital investment. Where are we with that? I hope we're wrapping it up, but I think the reality is, is that they're doubling down. And oh. uh, again, mentioned we're investors in meta. We wish they would essentially... Uh, pair back what they're doing there. And the, the simple reason is they, they had a billion in revenue, first quarter of every billion in revenue in Reality Labs. They lost $4 billion. They said that the amount of losses annually are going to increase. This is going to be $15 billion plus. This is, this is real numbers, even for these big companies. They're spending a lot. What Apple is showing today with Vision Pro, from a technology, from a price standpoint, right. it's seven times higher. From a technology point, it's probably 30x better. And I think uh, ultimately is that what uh, Meta wants to be 
uh, spatial computing, the metaverse for the masses is that uh, I do believe that that will roll right. out eventually. Um, so, but I, I wish that uh, they just wouldn't spend as much, spend 5 billion a year, not 15 billion a year. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, Paul, where are they? They're doubling, tripling okay. down on this. And uh, I kind of see this as BlackBerry right. versus the iPhone. Uh, to you, to Global Wall Street, we start strong in the seven o'clock hour. Gene Munster with his deep water asset management here on this huge societal juggernaut we're all writing, the technology company. Speaking of technology, Apple CarPlay, we are humbled. I got goosebumps over like, you know, the January numbers. Apple CarPlay on Apple, on Android. Bloomberg Business app downloaded free, and it works. It's safer. It's better, <laughs> as Apple says. And on YouTube, Ian Bremer, technologist, yep. picks up Godfrey, Jeff Godfrey's work at Pew Research in New Jersey over what do we actually consume. And Facebook's right up there, and Instagram's sure. right up there. Yep, absolutely. But, Paul, Ian Bremer points out 8 in 10 Americans are engaged with YouTube. We're on YouTube, Bloomberg Podcasts. Uh, look for it. Absolutely, we're there. Hey, uh, the third company reporting last night, Amazon. Boy, another really good I thought they quarter. were like in the, they were terrible. <laughs> Stock's up about 6.5%, pre-market trading up about 40% over the trailing 12 months here. What did you hear from uh, Amazon last night, Gene? Well, this one, just in terms of the stock reaction, is a surprise to me. I would, if, if you'd have given me the press release beforehand, I would have said it's down a few percent. So uh, what we heard last night was that AWS, which is typically the pressure point that people yep. focus on, was up 13%. That was compares to 12.5% growth in the September quarter and 12.2% in the June quarter. So we saw, I would say, a 50 basis points acceleration. Compare that to what Google Cloud did. They showed a 320 basis point acceleration to 26% and Azure 100 basis point acceleration to 30%. Put all this together. AWS should and continue to be the focus for Amazon investors. And in fact, yes, it showed acceleration, but it still is losing share notably. And I think when you fast forward this 6, 12, 24 months from now and think about how these platforms are going to be adding more AI capabilities for the people that use them, I think that uh, advantage uh, Microsoft and Google. So I think it's gonna be increasingly uh, competitive. The reason why the stock is up uh, is because they beat earnings by operating income by 50%, they crushed it. Yep. And this is like the, the, the roller coaster game of Amazon and earnings. You get a boom bust uh, cycle for two or three quarters and then a, a boom cycle and then a bust cycle. And so uh, Paul, to put it all together, I think Amazon quarter was good. Uh, it wasn't great. Uh, they they got people excited about this Rufus, this um, <laughs> this, this uh, assistant yep. um, shopper. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's going to help engagement, uh, help people find products better on Amazon. Good use of AI, but to me, doesn't justify what's happening with the stock this morning. All right, let's step back a little bit, um, Gene. We we, we kind of ran through the big three tech names I reported uh, last night. I'd love to get your view here. Now that we've had a little bit of perspective here, four, five, six quarters where we've had a lot of these companies talking about generative AI, I'd love to get your view as to kind of how you think it, it kind of really sits as, as a theme in technology. Is it real? Is it, and how material is it? And how do you play it? So is it real? Yes. Uh, how material is it? The example of uh, my framework is that if you do the scale of zero to 100, we've talked about this, zero to 100, 100 being electricity, I would put the smartphone at in terms of importance. Uh, electricity is 100, 
smartphones 25, the internet's 50, and I think uh, generative AI and AI more broadly is 90. Wow. I think it is just a, a step That's function. And uh, I think we're entering uh, what's going to be a three to five year bull market that's going to culminate in a bubble. Uh, yeah. It by definition almost has to happen. If this is in fact right. 90 out of 100, you, we will see uh, a bubble. So I, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm on board that these can be transformative. Right. I mean, we saw Tim Cook finally utter those two letters I, yesterday I, I in the prepared remarks. And yeah, uh, sure. I think they're, it's setting Apple up to enter as a, with a foundation right. model this year. So big picture, yeah. um, it's, it's, I think it's hard to under, under, um, understate right. how meaningful of a change this is going to be. Gene, I want you to shift here to long ago and far away when we hung on every word you said at Piper Jaffrey about should we be in these stocks. There's a lot of people listening and watching on YouTube and CarPlay who are saying, I'm in this or I think I'm in it in my 401k, or I'm not in it, and damn, I got to get into it, but I'm scared stiff. I want you to talk the five-year vision of these companies that have come so far in the last decade. Do you extrapolate out the present trends? Is there a lesser slope, or dare I say, can they even get convexity and accelerate free cash flow, revenue growth, their position within American society? I think uh, when you look at the kind of scope of where uh, wealth will be created around AI, I generally think of it as in three buckets. I think that there's the, we'll call it the, the safe bet. And I think that is this mega cap tech. And I think not, it's not just own the magnificent seven. I think they are, uh, I think they're, I think the best one surprisingly is Google. I think the best opportunity that's underappreciated relative to what's happened with the other ones, I think Google. So uh, and this is not investment advice, but from our perspective, uh, we own Google and Meta. And so continue to do that, continue to think that's a great place to be, even with uh, the upside that they've had. Um, but we also believe that AI is going to have a profound impact on companies that are, are less well-known. Uh, we have an ETF, the ticker is LOUP. It's a frontier tech, which means that it, it effectively identifies what are the transformative themes over the next three to five years. AI is a big part of that. But I think some of these smaller companies that haven't had this tremendous run, I think that's a, a meaningful opportunity as well. And then the last piece is what we call the ordained uh, uh, late stage private companies. These are companies like Hugging Face and Databricks and uh, OpenAI and Thropic. Uh, these are companies that uh, are pure play AI companies. And so uh, I want to go back and just answer your question uh, specifically, Tom, is that Yes, I think you should continue to own a select uh, companies within uh, the Magnificent Seven because I think they'll continue to benefit. But it, as far as trying to get uh, outperformance relative to the market, mm -hmm. I think you need to try to search for some of those less well-known sub $100 billion. Right. We call that small now, <laughs> yeah. sub $100 billion small uh, tech companies. I'm long Wayne Labs. <laughs> Wayne Labs. Exactly. All right. So, Gene, in, in your uh, in your fund here, what are some of the, the the names that you guys own that maybe maybe people don't think about? I mean, everybody's you know kind of feels like they have their own call on, on the apples of the world, the Amazons of the world. Are there parts of the tech space that you think are underappreciated out there? Yeah, we actually go and look for uh, companies off that beaten path. I mean, there's one company, New Bank, ticker uh, NU, as in 
November uniform. And Nubank is the fastest growing bank in Latin America. They've basically gone from nothing to about 8% share. Uh, like one in two people in Brazil use uh, a form of Nubank. But they're using artificial intelligence to help better identify, get the underbanked population to be banked. And it's a, a, been a, a great use case of that, and it works. It works for risk management. So Nubank is a, a company that uh, we own. Coupon, um, many of you may not, uh, uh, that may be a new one. Uh, think of this as the Amazon of uh, South Korea. Uh, and uh, they basically have a, a pole position there. <clears throat> South Korea is, is doing relatively right. well. And, and, and then the last one, uh, Mercado right. Libre. Yeah, um, and and uh, I, I hope both of you are sitting down for this one. Uh, <laughs> just recently, uh, we added. Uh, we spent a lot of time, seven years working in in China, covering these big, bringing, bringing a lot of these companies public, the tech companies in China. Uh, we've just in the last uh, few weeks actually uh, uh, made some investments in some Chinese equities, uh, tech equities. Whoa. Nice. I think we'll leave it there. I yeah. gotta go call my broker. <laughs> yeah. Gene Munster, generous of you to be with Thank us. Thank you, Gene. Uh, through this half hour. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We're going to do a roundtable here. Mona Mahajan joins from Edward Jones, Senior Investment Strategist, and Sarah House from Wells Fargo. We're going to try to keep them for two hours. I believe Sarah's <laughs> got to go at some uh, point. Jay Bryson had a tantrum and said she can only do so much time with us. And Mona's with us. We're thrilled to have both of you, really with two different remits. Sarah, I got to go to you first because I got, with revision, a 479,000 statistic. Do we blame this on seasonality? Is this because Amazon and Bloomingdale's <laughs> hired more people? What's the asterisk Wells Fargo sees in this buoyant report? Sure. So, I mean, I think overall the, the message is this is a job market that is still incredibly strong despite all the efforts for the Fed to, to cool the economy. But I think you're right in that there probably is uh, some flattery from the seasonal. So January is the month where we tend to get the biggest move in non-seasonally adjusted numbers. So if you see any sort of deviation from that, that can flatter 
the January numbers. We saw that last January as well. But I think the message here is that we're just not seeing the same degree of layoffs that we typically would in January. And that's why we're getting such a robust headline number again here in January. I I mean, the the jobs numbers, I mean, I, I understand there's a standard error and everybody gets it wrong. I get that. But it's month after month after month. We're getting nowhere near 150 or 120. David Kelly over at J.P. Morgan Sarah House is looking for some form of migration to zero or even a negative statistic. What? Why are we creating so many jobs? Is it lower decile staff jobs? Is it a complete underestimation of a technology overlay? What's the why for 200 whatever thousand per month? Yeah, so I think one aspect is we're still getting, I think, pretty strong growth in, in labor supply. You know, we can't compare the month-to-month changes here with the January numbers because you, you did get some population control adjustments. But, you know, overall, you're, you saw the labor force participation rate hang in there, and it was up about four-tenths of a percentage point last year. And so that's helping helping businesses fill positions, meet with still very strong consumer and even, and even bus- business demand. Um, so I think that that's a big that's a big part of it as as well. And I think just in some industries like leisure and hospitality, government, for example, there's still catch up hiring going on from, yep. from the pandemic as well, which I think has. has hey, Mona, um, uh, I'm, Mona, I'm looking at the two year yep. treasury. We're now up 16 basis points, 4.36 percent. So from your perspective, Mona, does that kind of take any ambiguity around a March rate cut? Does that take that off the table now? Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, look, I think. Uh, most market participants, we were 50-50 ahead of the Fed meeting in yep. terms of a March rate cut anyway. Um, I think now people are looking towards May and June for the Fed to start its rate cutting cycle. We do still think that they will pivot from this pause to rate cuts later this year. Um, but Jerome Powell told us on Wednesday he's willing to take his time. He doesn't want to see inflation pick up again. And in fact, this jobs report this morning may give him a bit of pause when he sees that 4.5% uh, wage gain figure, average hourly earnings figure. I'd be curious to see what the mix of you know new jobs added is if we are seeing uh, higher paid workers uh, take up more of that mix versus the lower skilled, lower uh, paid parts of the market. Uh, but certainly what we're watching is the strength in this U.S. economy and inflation that, you know, immaculately has been continuing to move lower despite the strength in the U.S. economy. We want to see that continue in the next few months before we start seeing that rate cutting cycle. Yeah, just the, you know, the highest estimate in the Bloomberg survey of 77 economists uh, was 300,000. So it just kind of blew away all expectations. So, Mona, given that, how do you position it? Like, you know, you're going to be talking to clients all day today. How are you going to position kind of how this data point impacts the Fed Mona's going to be by Meta. By Meta. <laughs> by Meta That's going to be exactly. Mona's response. So how does this impact your, your, your market outlook here? Yeah, you know, look, I think it kind of uh, reaffirms some of the things, messages we've been giving to our clients as well, which is one, we do think if 2023 was the year of narrow leadership, you know, folks piled into mega cap tech, the AI trade, they also piled into cash and CDs, cash-like instruments. We think 2024 is a year of broadening in participation. So yes, we still like the AI tech trade. We think it's an early innings of a long-term secular right. bull market. But we want to make sure that we have exposure uh, to other parts of the market that may play some catch-up, especially in an environment where mm-hmm. we're not seeing any cracks in the economy thus far. Uh, we could see cyclical parts of the market, even parts of value, and, and across the market cap right. space as well. 
Um, we would say also with yields remaining relatively higher, not returning anywhere near the zero bound, we think longer term that means better balance in your portfolios between growth and value and bonds. They continue to play a critical element here as well. If you're just joining us, Mona Mahajan, Edward Jones, senior investment strategist with us for this entire half hour. Sarah House with Wells Fargo, uh, their senior economist, as well as we look at a stunning American jobs report. Uh, there's no other way to put it. I don't have the calculator. I don't need my HP 12 C's <laughs> off right now. But all you got to know is look at 400,000. Uh, in the last 60 days, over 600,000 uh, jobs created in America. Uh, Robert up in Connecticut, you know, he's got his, he's, he's got the Bloody Mary going on a Friday already. Sure. And Robert, thank you for sending in the uh, nice information there on seasonality, on retail, on health care uh, as well. Sarah, I'm going to ask you a question you don't want to answer, but it's rude Friday. <laughs> you got to be kidding me that Jay Powell wasn't briefed on this for that Fed press uh, conference. Point. Now, he may not have known the numbers because, you know, we play by rules in America. But you don't think someone like Sarah House, the Sarah House at the Eccles building, tapped him on the shoulder and said, excuse me, sir, it's going to be a ginormous number on Friday. Sarah House, did he know that? <laughs> I don't think so. I can't say for certain, but I think in, in a recent interview with David Rubenstein, he indicated that he probably doesn't get those numbers until Thursday. And, you know, the, the BLS does cut it close in terms of how many days they, they have to prepare this. And so this was right. rather early report as well. So I my inclination is I don't believe he, he had these actual numbers. Sarah House, seasonality. I got a lot of emails coming in <laughs> from uh, a seasoned pros, retired pros and that. Come on, it's January. Was, was this retail, healthcare and oddities? When you dive into this this afternoon with Team Bryson, are you going to look at it being seasonality, Sarah House? Well, again, it, it, we, it comes down to the fact that we just did not see as many layoffs as, as we usually would this time of year. Now, there were some soft spots in the report, so you had a pretty meager gain in leisure and hospitality, but you all saw other sectors which actually can see even noticeable declines in January, like professional business services. That, that posted a, a nice increase as well. Retail was very strong, so I think that suggests that you saw – Retail companies, they didn't hire as much holiday workers, but that also means they don't have to let go as many holiday mm. workers. So that's probably flattering that, that roughly 45,000 gains we saw in retail on a seasonally adjusted basis. Hey, Mona, when, when I see a GDP print for the first quarter of 3.3%, significantly better than expected, I see the labor market significantly stronger than expected. It kind of makes me feel like I want to run out and buy cyclical stocks if the economy is doing better than expected. How do you feel about those types of names coming out of the great Midwest? Yeah, you know, actually, it's a great point and something that we have been considering. And if, you know, I'll give you an interesting stat. When we look historically um, in an environment where the Fed starts cutting rates and we are not in a recession, probably perhaps the environment we're in now versus the Fed starts cutting rates and we are in a downturn or recession, uh, the market outcomes are much better, of course, in the non-recessionary scenario. And in fact, the S&P in the 12 months after the first rate cut is up about <clears throat> 8 to 10% versus flat to slightly down in the recessionary scenario. So we do think um, there yeah. is still historical precedent. The history may not repeat itself, but there is some precedent uh, for better market outcomes. And we think the parts of the market that will show those better outcomes are exactly the ones that you, you highlighted. We like 
the cyclical parts of the market, you know, areas like industrials, for example, uh, especially if global growth starts to play <clears> some <throat> catch up in the back half right. of the year, could do well. And we're, you know, taking any opportunity we can early on with volatility to position ourselves for those those rebounds. Sarah House, we're going to let you go now to duties at uh, Wells Fargo. Lots to write up on this stunning jobs report. Thank you so much to you and Team Bryson for perspective uh, this morning. Mona Mahajan continues with us. Edward Jones here, commercial free in this half hour of a bang up jobs report. There's no other way uh, to put it. We welcome all of you on Apple CarPlay and YouTube. Again, you search Google, right? You use Bing, Paul? Uh, I'm pretty much a Google person. Matt Miller is a Bing Converse. Matt Miller's a big Chat person? GPT, yes, he has made the I have switch. to look, if Matt, I mean, Matt uh, Miller's a, the tech study uh, here, he is, so, so I'm, I guess I got to look at Bing. I'm not using <laughs> Bing, I'm looking Safari or, or whatever, but you go YouTube, He's got Bloomberg, encyclopedia. Or, or Lisa, help me, are you Bing? I'm Google. Sorry. Mona, are you Bing or Google or what? Oh, oh, Google for sure. Okay, Mona Mahajan weighing in there. That's the Edward Jones perspective here. Personally. So we say good morning. YouTube Bloomberg Podcast. Good morning, Matt Miller. Look it up on Bing uh, if you can. Uh, Mona, I need a reset here. The tech cash flows are stunning. Yep. Now, they make up 25 30% of the S&P 500. Let's say they go to 35% or 40% where it, it, the math doesn't work in retirement planning. How do you at Edward Jones deal with that? Yeah, uh, it's a great call out. Look, when you look at any US index, but particularly the S&P 500, which is pretty much a global benchmark, 45% of that index does come from growth tech uh, type of stocks and sectors. And so even if you are just an index investor, you are 45% invested in technology. And of course, when we think about a global stock market, it doesn't look the same in Europe or even in Asia. Um, in Europe in particular, much more heavily weighted in uh, value parts of the market, industrials, manufacturing, financials. Uh, so when we think about you know, putting together a diversified portfolio, US is still the largest part of that. And within that, we still see value in, and we talked about this briefly earlier, in the technology space because um, not only have we seen cash flows increase, we've seen earnings increase quite a bit as well. And uh, we do think the AI boom and trade continues over the next five to 10 years. Some of that has been priced in, you know, the MAG-7 was up 70% plus on average last year. So we oh, are starting to see, <laughs> we are starting to see a bit of that priced in. Uh, we think we do get better opportunities in the weeks and months ahead, but we, don't want to give up on that trade early on. We do think that yeah. <clears throat> uh, not only will we see those index players benefit, but over time we'll see other parts of the market yeah. benefit from the products that come out of it. So the manufacturing, even financial yeah. sector, will ultimately benefit from AI as well. But you have to yeah. think about where all those stocks are housed. Paul, can we have a surveillance moment of silence <laughs> for Neil Dutta at Renmac? Yeah, sure. These job numbers are like Neil Dutta numbers. <laughs> where he's saying, look, we're creating jobs, and his, the heart of his thesis is we're creating inflation-adjusted constructive wages, which goes into consumption. Most of us spend our paycheck. Yeah, yes, we do. Which goes into GDP, nominal revenue, and that goes over to Mona Mahajan's world. It does. Uh, and, you know, all the Sweeney offspring are employed, so that's good. That's kind of my personal gauge of employment uh, out there in, in the world. Um, Mona... Let's talk about valuation here. We're right smack in the middle of earnings. We had some really good tech numbers last night from some of the big tech names. Broadly speaking, 
you know, if if the the bear case out there that we we speak to some people that are more cautious, they're going to call in valuation. They're going to say the stocks have kind of gotten ahead of earnings out there. Do you have concern or what level of concern do you have about valuation in this market? Yeah, you know, it's a good call out. And we had seen some valuation expansion. If you look at the S&P 500 last year, it, it went from about 17 times to about 20 times by the end of the year. Um, of course, if you look one layer underneath the surface, if you look at the S&P equal weight valuation, that's still actually pretty reasonable, about 16 times. And of course, what drove the valuation expansion for the most part was that Magnificent Seven technology trade. So that's why we think, you know, when we think about the year ahead, yes, we'll get earnings growth. But the but, but the other part of the story is where can we get valuation expansion? And we do think yeah. more scope for valuation expansion is in that equal weight, the 493 right. stocks that may have some catch up to play. So you're talking uh, about PE expansion. You're talking about you're modeling out within somebody's blended 401k an equity PE multiple expansion this year. Yeah, we think certain parts of the market, we talked about value, cyclicals, all of those still are pretty reasonably valued. Some of them are even priced to, you know, this recessionary environment that hasn't showed up yet. Uh, and once we are confirmed that we continue to get at least decent growth uh, over the next few quarters, we, we could see a valuation expansion. Also keep in mind, when the Fed right. is cutting rates and interest <clears throat> rates are over time moving lower, that's better for the valuation story as well. Mona, thank you. Mona Mahajan, Edward thank Jones here. Just, just really yep, brilliant really here on this allocation between bonds uh, and equities. I have anticipated this. And Paul Sweeney, how did we get these two guys? Guys, this is like it's spring <laughs> training where pitchers, catchers show up and everybody's there. And then the two studs wander out about yep. eight days later. <laughs> just just take 10 seconds here. How did you find Anurag Rana and Mandeep Singh? We got very fortunate because when you're building a research department, arguably, you know, you have to lead with technology, just like the market leads with technology. You have to have guys a world-class technology degrees. team. Yep, you have to have a world-class technology research team. Uh, and we're able to do that. And the way we did that is we hired um, Mandeep Singh, and Anurag Rana, they both are senior technology analysts and they built out a global technology research team for Bloomberg Intelligence. So we appreciate all their hard work. And now these two folks are front and center here on a day when you've got some big, big tech earnings. And I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start with Apple. So that means I go to Anurag Rana. Um, Anurag, did we learn anything from Apple uh, and it's position in China, because China's 20% of their revenue. It looks like it's more competitive. It looks like the economy is not as strong as they would like to see it. What do we learn, if anything, about Apple and their growth opportunities in China? You know, what we learned is, yes, long term, it is a big story, but at least for the next 12 to 18 months, you know, you could say that things are going to not be as smooth over there as they, they you know, try to figure out how to be more competitive, give more rebates, try to work with more carriers. So, so Apple has their work cut out for them in China, and we are not expecting a rebound anytime soon. All right, so that's we'll get back to that because there's a lot to peel there, uh, Anurag, on Apple. Mandeep, um, we also had Amazon uh, last night, um, and we also had Google last night. Let's start with Google because it kind of goes Meta. to that. Oh, I'm sorry, Meta. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, Meta, Facebook. thank you. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So what did we learn from Meta last night, um, just about the digital advertising environment out there? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a beat and raise quarter, and that too, you know, with uh, expectations being high, clearly they delivered. And I, I think the tailwind was coming from multiple fronts. So one, 
the digital ad pricing environment is getting better. So that means, you know, uh, online advertisers are spending more on ads and that's helping the pricing. And the other thing is the relevance of AI for all these ad companies. I mean, Meta is definitely the scale player and they have invested heavily in AI and that has actually yeah. helped their ad infrastructure far more than anyone else out there. So that showed up in the numbers and you know uh, that, that was the reason for the beat. I wanna dovetail here guys, and, and folks, this goes to the, just the sheer margin profitability of all these companies yeah. that Mandeep and Enron <laughs> follow. All you gotta know is Apple, because they're actually making something, maybe it's a little lower EBITDA margin, it's like 30, 40%, whatever the number is. And the rest of them are minting money with a 50 cents. Every dollar they bring in, they're basically bringing 50 cents down to be distributed for cash flow. Michael Mobison over at Morgan Stanley, guys, writes up a 25-page essay here on increasing returns about what technology is doing as it gets bigger and bigger. Mandeep, let me start with you. Do you just extrapolate out these growth lines? I mean, is, is Peter Orzag at Lazard would say the glide paths here? Are they just smooth extrapolations out three years and five years, Mandeep? No, I mean, look at Meta, right? Last year, uh, we were talking about, you know, whether this company can grow and, you know, engagement was a concern and uh, uh, they had negative uh, sales growth, you know, for uh, three quarters. So. Uh, clearly, it's not smooth, and uh, every time we have, you know, a period of 30 to 40 percent growth, it follows with, you know, low growth or no growth, especially on the ad side. But what they have shown time and again is, you know, yeah. ad, the online ad business is secular. There is that shift, right. and I would say we are closer to saturation than we were probably three years back. So, right. uh, at the scale these companies are. It will be hard for them to maintain right. that 20% plus growth. Anurag, I think I saw Tim Cook, I think over at Fox, <laughs> doing, the, the, doing the, the reality, the virtual vision pro reality in front of the Apple store in New York. I stood in front of that store a lifetime ago with my favorite Lawrence Haverty, who covered oh, yeah. tech before you guys. You guys were, you know, these guys, Mandeep and Anurag had slide rules going in <laughs> undergraduate school when Larry Haverty was working it up. And guess what? Apple was going out of business then. It's going out of business now. Anurag Rana, do you see the innovation trend at Apple that will sustain these glide paths, sustain this cash flow? Yeah, I know. I'm not that concerned about Apple in the long run. I think they'll be fine. The problem is what happens in the next two to three years. And that's where some of the, the problem is just because China is not growing. China is the big growth driver in the near term. Um, the Vision Pro is not going to do anything to, you know, accelerate their growth rates. Um, it's really, um, you know, all the phones that they are selling in emerging markets. And China is the big market. So, so for us, I mean, not concerned about Apple in the long run. But in the short run, I think it's going to be very uh, hard for them to grow, you know, anything north of 5%. Right. Unless they throw that Gen AI stuff that they, you know, talked about on the call. If anything cool comes out of that in the next six to eight months, oh, come on. Th then I'm going to be wrong. Paul, iPhone GPT, it just means you can <laughs> order takeout uh, faster. Anurag Rana, Mandeep Singh with us, Bloomberg Intelligence. We continue with us here, commercial free this half hour. All right, uh, Anurag. My good friend, Laura Martin over at uh, Needham and Company, she's out the piece of research, which I think is really interesting. Google, Meta, Amazon, on their conference calls, they mentioned either AI 
or generative AI like 50, 60 times each. Apple, like none at all here. Is Apple, what are they doing or not doing with AI? Are they not kind of getting that buzz? I, I think they were caught, uh, you could say, off the guard a couple of years ago when uh, ChatGPT came out uh, with very strong. Uh, I think they uh, they said on the call that they're going to have an event sometime later this year. And if they are able to release some tools or you know some cool features in the phone um, that allows them to actually capitalize on some of this buzz, then what's going to happen is if and if uh, if the, the, the iPhone 16 has those features embedded in them, then you can actually create a new refresh cycle that we have been waiting for. Uh, remember, we've been talking about the extension of the refresh cycle for the last three to five years. And if if that happens, and it's a very, very big if, yep. then iPhone 16 can truly, you know, uh, put a dent to my thesis of slow growth. And we see, you know, a, a big number next year. Interesting. All right. So, Mandeep, just going on the AI theme here, I know you and the, the research team at Bloomberg Intelligence have done a lot of research on this. You guys have a big definitive report out on AI. I guess my question is, do we have a sense of how much of this AI, I'm using air quotes for those on, on the radio, um, tech spending is incremental or is it just uh, putting another name on usual tech spending on hardware and software? I mean, based on what we are seeing right now, you know, with the semi companies, especially the likes of NVIDIA and AMD, uh, it sounds like, you know, this spending is incremental. And yes, companies are slowing down their spending on uh, traditional servers, so there is some market share shift going on as well. But clearly, uh, you know, I, I would talk about above trend growth for the next two, three years, and that's where our, you know, 1.3 trillion number for 2032 comes from. Uh, half of that is spending on data centers, hardware, really changing the infrastructure, and uh, you know, the software part will follow as we are seeing uh, with the hyperscalers, Microsoft. Amazon and Google also benefiting. So their growth rate yeah. should go up as well. But uh, clearly, you know, uh, right. there is incremental spending around AI. When you talk to the people, is there within the culture, and I'm reading, I, I haven't read the whole book yet. I'm actually reading every word of it. Sacha Nadella's one volume biography is spectacular about you know, the, the courage he had coming out of Southern India. And there's too much cricket talk in it. That's the only <laughs> problem I have. When you guys talk to the cultural, the double E's uh, operational research people, do they believe in the financial profitability of what they're living every day? Mandeep, the, the guys like you and Anurag, Mandeep Singh, do they believe in the link over to profitability that we're observing right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think especially with a company like Microsoft, you can see that, you know, uh, they have price their services in a way where a co-pilot, they're charging an additional $20 subscription. So uh, look, they are making a okay. big investment and, and uh, <clears throat> it, it is, uh, you know, to acquire customers to drive that stickiness, but I, I right. do think it will be profitable. Okay, but yeah. first principles here, let's get right back to basics. Lisa Mateo is gonna be with her daughter this weekend and Lisa wants her daughter to be brilliant. So Lisa's gonna say to her daughter, dear, let's sign up for co-pilot. Mandeep, when I sign up for Copilot GPT, what in God's name do I get? <laughs> well, so it, it brings productivity, right? And at the end of the day, if we are more productive in our jobs, if we can uh, get rid of the mundane things that we do in our day-to-day -day jobs, the redundant things, <clears throat> 
I, I mean, I, I think that's what drives uh, productivity and efficiency. And we know, I mean, look at how far we have come with PCs and Word and Excel, How what kind of productivity it gives you. So this is like taking one step further in terms of okay. what are the redundant things that so, you do in Word or Excel. So Paul, you're going to ramp you up, you're going to ramp up Copilot. Sure. And it's going to make you more efficient in 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 Is ordering the marginal pork roll. Yeah, that's right, exactly. On the Jersey Shore this summer, right? On the Jersey yeah, yeah on the grill in Jersey Shore. Um Anurag, talk to us about just kind of your sense of just overall tech spending here. I know it's you've good you, question. You guys have talked good about question. it. It's the rate of growth slowing. Do you expect a reacceleration here? Oh yes, actually, actually I have, I've talked about this quite a bit. So um, you know, we did a survey uh, back in uh, November, December, and we really got some really good results out of it. Uh, we think this year is going to be the first year of rebound after two years of underspending. You know, we've talked about cloud, for example, quite a bit. Um, Amazon's cloud commitments just, were just released this morning. They're up 41%. So that's a massive acceleration from last quarter. Over the next 12 months, we do see, we do expect, you know, sales growth rates for almost all major uh, categories in cloud to pick up, uh, perhaps more at, at a faster rate, more in the second half than the first half. And I think that puts it into a, us into a very good 2025, because if you have strong bookings, Sometime this year, they're okay. going to translate into much faster revenue growth next year. I mean, man, if you don't give me any couch time, what I do, folks, when I decompress <laughs> here is I go up to our acclaimed food court and I sit on the couch. You know, the, the food court in London is better than here. And that's saying I mean, something. You know, in Washington <laughs> is the best. Washington's the best food court we have in the world. But I'm up in the food court. I'm putting down the Cheez-Its. And, you know, I'm having fun. Anurag gives me couch time. I never get any couch time no. with well, Mandy. He's too busy. I mean, he's he's too busy. So, Mandy, my question to you that I'd ask you sitting on the couch, is this stuff's a large part of our diversified portfolios, index funds or active managers that we have? Do we own too much meta the moonshot that it is today from where you sit in our conservative money do we own too much tech i mean look these companies the uh, the six tech companies in the magnificent seven they are wonderful businesses there is no doubt about you know how good they are at scale and how they keep growing you know year after year and and they are very profitable so Clearly, you know, they have an outsized influence in our lives, and there is a good reason, uh, you know, to be proud of them as, uh, you know, American yeah. companies that have a global <clears throat> presence. And, and uh, that's why, you know, they will keep delivering. The question remains, what is the right valuation? And that's where, you know, you look at a company trading at 30, uh, 35 times earnings, and you have to ask yourself, how much good news is priced in? And yes, it's a right. phenomenal business. It's growing uh, at a great pace. But then th uh, there is a price that you pay as a shareholder. Well, and uh, I, I think that, uh, after a while, uh, a lot of the growth is priced in and it becomes very crowded. And, and that's yeah. uh, what you have to ask yourself. I mean, Paul, I know you're shopping this weekend. The yeah. price you pay, you're going to be over at the Apple store like Tim Cook today. And the answer is you got to go for the Vision Pro. I yeah, mean, there's absolutely. just no question about it. Absolutely. Apple CEO Tim Cook, he opened the flagship Fifth Avenue Apple store today. He's greeting customers. Why? It's Vision Pro release day. How about that? I'm not sure what Vision Pro is. Anurag, are you going to rush out to the Apple store in the greater Chicago area and buy your Vision Pro today? 
I'm going to go test it out, but I'm not going to buy it. I, it's just too much, uh, too expensive for me. But I'm going to go play around with it. I'm going to ask people what they think about it. But uh, what no, the, no, all right. So, what coming. does it cost? Do we know the price of this thing? Three thousand five hundred. Oh, I mean, who's buying this thing? Is it is it just oh, the gamers or? Uh, they, okay, they but what did you learn about the 600 apps? Seriously, Anarag. I mean, Mandeep, you know, is going to buy it. You're not <laughs> Anarag. But of the 600 apps, like what's the app that will make people spend that money, make businesses spend that money? See, for consumer, it's really gaming. I mean, that's really where it boils down to. Disney, you know, you can watch a Disney movie. They, 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 they have really talked about it. But I personally think the commercial use is probably far better. Because if you have an architect, if you look at engineering, you know, uh, those kinds of things, I, I think, you know, makes a lot Show of sense. Uh, but, but, but it's not, this is not a game changer. You know, you sell 1 million units, you make $3 okay. billion. That's 3.5. That's nothing. Right. Apple. Let's wrap it up. Mandeep, if, if you've got the Vision Pro thing on, are you going to synergize here? And are you going to have Microsoft Activision? Am I going to be playing Diablo 4 on my Apple Vision Pro? <laughs> Well, so I, I think, again, it's a, it's a cool device. My problem with a VR headsets and with Vision Pro uh, most likely is going to be how much time can I wear it for? Because these are still bulky. Like, you, you can use them for entertainment, but I just can't imagine, you know, putting the headset for right. two, three hours. So <laughs> it, it gives you that right. immersive experience. But I, I still think, right. uh, you know, it's too heavy for me to use. You're on the Bloomberg Terminal. Go to Bloomberg Intelligence, Required Read, Anurag Rana, Mandeep Singh, after this tech juggernaut uh, a weekend. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. With our newspapers, Lisa, uh, Mateo. Lisa, what do you start with? All right. Uh, remember, Royal Caribbean came out with figures yesterday, but now their big news is this new ship icon of the seas. Monstrous. It's a monster ship. I know you're not into cruising, Paul. I will be soon. I'm, I'm but, turning okay, the leaf so, here. So maybe here we go. 345 per person per day. Okay, but here's the thing. It's this multi-level ultimate family townhouse. It's going to run you an average of $100,000 a week. 
So I think that might be out of your league. Two bedrooms, more than 25,000 square feet. That's like bigger than the average apartment in most places. It has a lot of balconies, multi-slides, lounges, hot tubs, game rooms. But here's the point. It's reserved for most of 2024. So people are spending. Yep. We were down in Aruba just a couple weeks ago, and every day the cruise ships are just flying in there. So the cruising biz is back, baby. Oh, yeah. That's one of the most important things Ellen Zentner said today. She said, look, it yeah, is a bifurcated is. America. Yep. And, and that's not good. I mean, that's it's not, not good. good. I, it's not I, good. I, I, we, are, we agree You need the m- middle class. Next, Lisa Mateo. Yes, this one's for you. It, it's a little dog theme here we have going. Okay. <laughs> so this is from the Times. There's a study of about 600,000 British dogs, okay, from more than 150 breeds. It turns out small dogs with prominent noses, they live longer Oh, yeah. Then the bigger oh, flat faced dog. So, like the French bulldog, for example, <clears throat> that has the flat Which neck. is the most popular breed these days. Yes, it is. Yes. It is. It is. But, the, you know, the short yeah, snouts, so. they have respiratory problems. Yep. They yep. can get heat stroke, things like that. So, that's the problem yeah. with those dogs. Do you, you know, my, the, the, the vet that I go to in New York, she's just absolutely lovely. And what's great about her, it's the Horace Mann Veterinary School. You make the check right out to her kids' prep schools. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, you go in and it's like, you think you're going to spend $282 and it's like $914. You just write it out to Horace Mann. <laughs> yep. I mean, she's just the time safe. It just write it out direct to Horace. Man, my vet went apoplectic on this at one point and she said, yeah, there is a bread issue here. And, and I'm very pleased to say that uh, vet bill and kennel fear cotons, which are in their own way a little twisted, uh, but um, they have like the normal nose mm-hmm. and that's better. It's like, it's like actually a big deal. In dog I did not see. I today. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? And female dogs live longer than male dogs. If really? you didn't know that as well. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. I think that's true of uh, other of humans species too. <laughs> as well. Mrs. Keene has me with one foot in the casket. Yeah. <laughs> do you recall Ken Pruitt once asked, uh, why do men die before their wives? His answer, what? because they want to. <laughs> That was just Ken. What do you, what do you got, um, Lisa, bump. here? There's John Tucker helping us out there. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Providing congestion in the studio. What are, what are uh, the last from the journal. This is about um, 20-something-year-olds. They're no longer hanging out like how Mateo used to do back in the day. <laughs> you go to the clubs till late at night. No, that's not. They're in bed by 9 p.m. Why? 9 p.m. It's the the link between sleep and better health. They say they believe in it. They're not going out. I saw this week the first time Jim Carrey was ever on TV. It was with Johnny Carson. Everyone should see it on YouTube. Jim Carrey is a child, and it's all there. Everything he became is there. Absolutely mesmerizing 20 minutes of YouTube video. Paul, in the media business, we stayed up to 11.30 to watch Johnny Carson. Sure, every night. Why did this stop? Well, no, the, the late night viewing, late night viewing is still pretty good. Late night TV is still important and they still invest a lot. They still make a lot of money in that light, late night uh, block there. So it's still important for television, but I, I guess it's not according to the Wall Street Journal. The days of hanging out late for people in their 20s is yeah, over. I'm trying to think about my kids. I mean, but you think about businesses are changing. Like out. businesses are doing these matinee parties that start at like 5 p.m., that's what they're starting that's to do That's for now. me. That's my demo. That's, what that's I, my that's time my happy hour. Do you, guys exactly. think, do you guys think, seriously, John Tucker, jump in here as well. Do you guys think, because uh, well, his kids are ill-mannered. I mean, it's a, it's a better picture of what's going on. Do you think it's the pandemic? My basic take Ooh. is the ramifications of COVID are with us far more now than we're living, you know, day-to-day with our kids 
the dogs, everyone. What do you think, Lisa? That's a good point. I, I didn't even think about, about it that way. We went to bed at 9 p.m. We're, with COVID because right, there was nothing else there's to nothing do. There's nothing to right? do. John, what do you think? <laughs> now, I was looking at my Easy Pass receipts because I had to pay it this morning. And I'm like, <laughs> what's this one? 3 a.m. on the Garden State Parkway. I'm like... That's my daughter. And I'm like freaking out. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, no, no that's, that's me. You. I was yeah. going to work. <laughs> no, they're in bed. No, they're not in bed early. No, this does not apply to my, my children. Uh, not okay. to yours? No. no. But well, they're like going to bed at 9 p.m. Not my son. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast, bringing you the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.